Welcome back to On My Own Dime. I'm your host, Jason McCormack. This is part two of a discussion with audio engineer John Michael Caldwell. In this episode, we're talking about why he decided to return to school after working in the industry for several years. It's a great episode if you're considering whether a music degree is necessary. A lot of engineers and musicians would argue that it isn't. We also discussed the church music industry as an avenue for musicians and engineers to develop their skills and establish a living before launching into the entertainment sector. And finally, John and I share some lessons we've learned over the years and the perspective we have developed from reflecting on our respective journeys. So after Dubway, you went to Louisiana and built out a studio, right? It was called Blade, I think. Yeah, I don't. I wouldn't say that I built out the studio as much as I sat upstairs and did inventory of all of the gear that we ordered while um, the professionals were building out the studio. Okay, and then, and you <laughs> stayed on after it was done for a couple of years before you moved to LA, right? I stayed on as like a full-time employee for one year as an assistant engineer. And then I left and I went back to school. And that during that time that I was at school and then my wife got into vet school and we moved down south um, to Baton Rouge, Louisiana, which was about four and a half hours away from that studio. Um, I got called back. Once we had moved down south, I got called back maybe two or three times, about a week a week at a time. And before that, whenever I was in school, I got called back, I don't know, like several times for the, the couple of years that I was still in school, maybe two years. What made you decide to go back to school? Um, I don't know. There was a lot... Kind of going on and not going on. Like the studio that I worked at, Blade Studios, while I was an assistant, um, it was like something just kind of felt weird about it because it, it was in North Louisiana. It was a huge, really nice room studio, but we weren't getting a lot of work. And I guess I didn't feel very busy and like I was kind of like doing the things that I wanted to do. And at the time, it felt like going back to school was kind of like the easy decision and kind of just like an excuse of a way out to like not to have to work at the studio anymore, as much as I liked working at the studio. Um, but I, I didn't mind going back to school because I had I felt like I had a lot more to learn and it would be useful to go back to school to learn more about um, music theory and stuff like that. And I spent more time um, taking composing classes for like 20th century music and um, other things like that. So, you, and so what was your, and what degree did you have and what degree did you go back for? Um, I didn't have a degree. Oh, okay. You didn't uh, finish school yet. Yeah. No, I went for like a year and a half to two years. Um, after I graduated high school for music education. And then I dropped out and I went to the recording workshop in Chillicothe, Ohio, which was a really fast-paced program. Um, it, was, it was a great program, but there were a lot of kids there that had never spent time away from home. So it was a bit of a party school too. 
Um, but I learned a lot of very practical information about audio at that school. And then I, that's whenever I went to Dubway after that. Okay. And that was my first internship at Dubway. And then I went and did the assistant engineer thing, like you said, in Louisiana. And then I went back to school to finish my degree in music education, which would be more like band director type stuff for middle school or high school, um, that type of stuff. Or maybe even like percussion instructor for like a really big high school on like a drum line. And then in concert season, you'd like show everybody how to play the timpani and the marimba and you know how to read music and all of that stuff but um you know i I couldn't even follow through with that so i ended up dropping out of school again during my last semester and not doing my student teaching oh this was after blade when you went back yeah so once i went back i still dropped out (laughs) it just wasn't what you wanted Uh, yeah it wasn't I don't know. It wasn't working out for me. Um, And so I just went and did some engineering at a televangelist's church named Jimmy Swaggart. He has his own broadcast station called SBN, or Sun Life Broadcasting Network. Wow. And, uh, yeah, he pays for that thing to be on air 24-7. Yeah, there, there um, was a job I had for a while working at a, a broadcast supply company, and we would get these big orders from, uh, I think it's referred to as the Bible Belt. These churches and like religious entities would put in big orders for, I'm talking like outfitting stages for live sound and then being able to broadcast footage of it. And they're all just like individual community churches essentially yeah that started becoming a big thing there was another church down there that was kind of across the street from his place he's been established down there since like the 70s it sounds Um, like that's a pocket of like um it could be like an incubator for a lot of performers and engineers kind of in the sense that like they need performers and engineers and if you get in with them I know people, it sound from people I've talked with about it, generally people stay on for like a few years and really get um, some savings and get a stable life established as a musician. And that experience opens some more doors for them to apply to like bigger jobs that they're looking for. Oh, yeah. I mean, if you're a musician and probably an engineer in the South, which is I would consider like Arkansas and Tennessee and like North Carolina and below. If you're in that industry, then you have most likely worked at a church or, you know, like played on stage at a church and for like a Christian music group at some point. Um, Because you can't get around it and you can't get away from it. Hmm. It's just so normal down there that like that's like what pays the bills i know so many people also that don't consider themselves christians um or like believers in god or any religion but you know they'll play guitar or sing at a church for you know five six or seven years just because that's the only gig that's available yeah they can rely on it every week 
And yeah, it's consistent. It's every week. And sometimes it's a two, two times a day on Sundays, and sometimes it's on Wednesdays. And then, you know, whenever the big holidays come up, you have like an entire weekend of stuff to do, like during Easter and all of that stuff. So yeah, it's a big industry. So you stayed there for a little while before you moved out to L.A.? Yeah, I was there for about four years, I'd say. Almost four years exactly. Did you feel like having that long stretch of experience there was helpful for your resume in terms of like cutting cutting your teeth on and getting hours at a console and just learning different skills? For my resume, no. If anything, I feel like it just kind of hurt my resume. What I do feel like it was helpful for is that I think... I needed time to mature, and I don't know. I think I was just bouncing around. I didn't know what I wanted to do, and I wasn't sure, like, how much of my free time and if I was ever going to, like, get to a point where I could, you know, make engineering work as, like, a professional. And so I, yeah, all of that was, like, very up in the air to me. And so I think I needed that amount of time to kind of um, mentally mature and be able to like sit down and kind of like, I, I think that if I would have moved to a place like Tennessee or like if I came to Los Angeles earlier than I did, um, I don't know if I would have stayed here long enough to really get in. Um, and, you know, at least make it as far as I've made it now and made the, the connections and have the network that I have now. Um, I probably would have given up knowing myself. Yeah. There's something, there's like a common thread there for most of my friends that I've met along the way that like, cause I felt that I was bouncing around a lot too, but my I guess my idea after college was that you want to work at like a lot of studios until you find the one, the right one, the one that's doing the kind of work that you want to be doing. Mm -hmm. And that was like a horrible approach. Terrible. Because every time you go to a new spot, you, you're the new guy and you start completely over. Yeah. And you have to prove yourself. Exactly. Yeah. And, and then bearing in mind that like you are a college graduate who's just been bouncing around and you're trying to prove yourself at all, you know, a half a dozen places in a year when you really haven't cut your teeth at any one studio and like truly learned a room or learned a style of music or, you know what I mean? Like you, you haven't settled down to really like hone your skills in any one specific thing. So then you're bouncing around trying to prove yourself to all these different teams of people and, you just kind of, I think from the outside of that, like from my perspective, it made sense. And probably from yours at the time, it made sense. But from the outside looking at us, we probably just look like we don't know what we want. Uh, and they probably don't know if it's a good bet to place on us, like sticking around, you know? Yeah, I think it's partly that. And I think the other part is... You know, it kind of like how messed up the industry is in a way where a lot of studios just want free work. 
And there are so many people that want to get into the industry that there's people that are willing to do internships for free. And so, you know, it's like studios are willing to just hire people as interns and not, you know, consider hiring them after their three months is up. Yeah. It's just kind of like, oh, yeah, you can come, come work, come clean our toilets, come clean our dishes, come wipe our windows down. And then, you know, just after the end of it, they're like, okay, well, you know, we'll give you a nice letter of recommendation and you got to sit on on some cool sessions maybe. Um, But other than that, you know. That's the end of the road. What did it really accomplish? yeah, Yeah, there were no seeds planted that could potentially grow into anything you were you weren't set on a path to like continue growing you just were kind of you did your stint and a lot of times I, I could sense that they knew within the first week like who they potentially would keep and who they definitely wouldn't but then you know they're still going to let those people finish their three or five or six month internship and then you send them on their way yeah definitely I mean, to, to go backwards a little bit, whenever I was mentioning how I didn't feel like I was mature enough to move out to L.A. earlier than I did, um, whenever I was interning at Dubway, um, so whenever I started interning, I basically got the internship because one of the interns was being made an assistant engineer. He was only there for a month or so. And then he had to go back home for some reason. And so there was an assistant. His assistant spot was opening up. And since I was the first person that started working there as the intern, there was another guy behind me that they were also considering. And basically the studio manager, I think his name was Steven at the time. Yep, I remember him. He, uh, Yeah, he called me into his office. And I, I know you remember the other guy, Anthony. Yep. Yep. Um, so he was an, he was an intern at the time as well. And Steven called me into his office and he was like, Hey, I just want you to know that this assistant spot is opening up and technically you're kind of like the next person in line, but it's between you and Anthony because we want to see, you know, kind of like how well each of you do. And Anthony's newer, so we don't know him as well, but um, they wanted to see me like open up more and sit in on more sessions and like, I guess, offering more of my time and stuff like that. And I felt, you know, I was probably 21 at the time, I think I was 21 years old and I was a super shy person. I was in New York and it was it was all like a bit much for me, I think. And I didn't really know how to open up. And I always felt like if I opened up more or if I talked more or if I sat sat in on more things, like I would be like kind of like found out and people would like know that I didn't know what I was doing. And I was so scared for people to find out that I didn't know what I was doing that I didn't want to ask questions to figure out how to do things, if that makes sense. Yeah. And so I ultimately didn't get the assistant job um, just because I was like so insecure with everything that I didn't know how to, you know, put myself forward. But also Anthony was a great engineer. He was a better engineer than me. And he had 
years of experience on me as an engineer. Uh, I know he had an electrical engineering degree, and he also uh, interned at several other studios before Dubway, Electric Lady being one of them. So and, and he and he knew more than me. I mean, he knew how to fix like audio gear and stuff. I I helped him fix like a not that I helped him. I kind of like stood around and like hood him par- uh, handed him parts and stuff. And he fixed like a, I think it was a manly Veramu or something that needed like a, something replaced on it. Um, so he was a, he was a smart guy and he was a lot better and much more deserving of the assistant spot than I was. Um, but you know, I still didn't know like what I needed to do to get a, into a spot like that. Right. And from their perspective, what they told you exactly what to do, but they, but, but you're hearing that like, Oh, so what does that look like? Like, what do I do to make that happen? Yeah. Yeah. Cause I was like, I don't know how to do anything. And like, I'm sitting there with Anthony. I'm like, this guy's like so much better than me. I mean, he's going to get it no matter how hard I try. He was older than us too. I mean, he just had a lot more experience. Yeah. Uh, he was probably like 26 or 27 at the time. Maybe, maybe 27. I don't know if he was that much older than us, but yeah. Yeah. I, I, my memories there are like, not bittersweet. That's not the right word. Like I loved working there. It's exactly the kind of place I wanted to be at. But like you said, New York city can be a bit much when you're not from the area. I'm from upstate New York. Uh, and so like the city is not my home. Then when you're, you know, we're giving a lot of our time for the internship. Then I was also working full time in the city at a job to pay my bills. Oh yeah. It could be a bit much. I like running all over the city. And then when I get to the internship, it's like really where I want to be, but I can't give much more, uh, without (laughs) risking my job and losing my apartment, you know? Well, yeah. And yeah, that's the part that sucks is that a lot of these people expect you to do an unpaid internship to get into the studio. And that's not just to get into the industry. Sometimes to get into the industry, it's like, You've got to do three or four different internships at different studios before you finally get hired into one. Luckily, California has made it illegal to do um, unpaid internships unless there's a way around it where unless you're getting credit, uh, school credit for your internship, then you can then it's considered educational and um, you get a free intern. Right. I've done those before. At that same time for me, I was, I was an assistant upstate and that studio had a phenomenal drum room. Uh, they had an AMEC console and it was kind of back in the woods, but so it was great, great place. And they didn't have a lot of traffic. So Mm -hmm. I felt kind of torn. Like, yeah, this is exactly the type of facility and the vibe of where I feel like I would thrive. Cause if it's the center of it is really the drum room and that's what I loved recording the most. Uh, and, and then there's no bands coming through. So, right. And I couldn't, I just couldn't stir up any business to bring, like I was allowed to bring in sessions. I just couldn't find anybody that could afford it. Everyone, I, all the musicians I knew were college students. So that kind of drove me to the city where I was thinking if I could get in at a studio that had more traffic, I'd be having some 
a decent amount of work and like working with bands instead of other miscellaneous projects, um, like often happens when you don't have your own clients. Yeah. You have a really hard time, um, finding those bigger gigs that actually pay you enough money to support yourself whenever you don't work at a larger commercial studio that gets those. It's like you have to work at those places to get those networks. Yeah. And it's so competitive because there are so many people that are just willing to do unpaid internship after unpaid internship. And then, you know, it starts becoming like everything else in life, it seems like competing over like, you know, who has who or like whose parents have the most money to (laughs) allow their kids to like keep living and working for free until they get into the studio that's going to hire them. Yeah. Uh, Unless, you know, you're doing what you did where, you know, you're working and supporting um, yourself while you're also trying to make this thing happen. Um, but I feel like that's the story you don't hear quite as often as you do of like, oh, you know, I just did internship after internship and I finally got in. Or there's the other way where you just had like really um, talented friends and, you know, you ended up being friends with like someone that got famous um, in high school and they kind of uh, and, and you got to work on the project and now, you know, you're the engineer. Now you're the producer or something. Yeah, that's ideal, right? <laughs> yeah. Work work with your friends and kind of get funneled along. Uh, you know, maybe you're the one who became wildly successful or your friend is, but like you go up together. Um, I just think that they, for, for people who are like supporting themselves while they're trying to make it happen, it's not that common because I think you're burning the candle at both ends and the candles just burn out fast that way. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, it's hard, especially when you're not getting paid for your internship and, you know, people expect you to, you know, like they set it up, like people expected me to sit in at sessions at nighttime and stuff. And, you know, I wasn't getting paid to sit in at sessions and do and like help do stuff. Yeah. And, and I mean, not to keep going back to the same person, but I, I see what Chris did maybe he knew exactly what he was doing and that's why it worked. Or maybe it was just being himself and it worked for him. But like his job, quote unquote, his job that was paying his bills was that live sound gig and it was funneling him clients. You know, he was still in the same field of work and he was leveraging that to like get into the studio more, um, where trying for, if you have a completely separate job, like I was lifeguarding and teaching swim lessons, like there was no benefit of that to my career as an engineer or my internship specifically. But he, he was kind of like staying on that foundation and like learning and honing his skills as an engineer in the live domain and bringing those clients into the studio. So, you know, he was making his living while he was still on track driving in the same direction um, versus trying to drive two separate vehicles, you know? Yeah. When I look back at it, um, that was probably definitely the way to go. Although back then I 
really did not want to have anything to do with live sound. Me neither. And so I was like, I'm never going to do live sound, no matter how much someone pressures me to do it. I was like, I'm never going to do it. I opened the pool. At, like I left my house at 5 a.m. and opened the pool. And then I stayed there until the afternoon. And then I went to my internship. So there was no way I was going to go run shows in the evenings, you know? I don't know what I would change specifically if I could go back in time, like with the perspective I have now. I don't think I could have changed a lot. I didn't have other opportunities to like make money doing something with music at that time to just like change my, my, uh, the gig I worked for paying bills to do something more in line with music, you know? Yeah, definitely. I don't know how much I, I could change things either. I mean, I don't know if I would change anything aside from, you know, me maybe being a little more outgoing personality wise. Same for me. Um, and I, I definitely yeah. feel that I like having the intern, the, the assistant position I had, I was, I was like a two year assistant there, but, uh, to stay on there, I was going to have to just live with my parents for like another decade because of the inconsistency mm-hmm. of the work. And I just, it's, that's not what I wanted for myself, you know? So all of those things, like those swirling dynamics, it's like, it's just, it's just challenging in indescribable ways or intangible ways of like, you're trying to figure out where you fit or why you don't fit. Uh, and you can't really, you could try to force things, but it's never up to you. Yeah, that's true. You can't ever force things. That's whenever I feel like it starts to maybe seem a little insincere. Yeah. And someone's just trying to force their way into making it happen. And people don't like that. Thanks for listening to On My Own Dime. For more about John, his film credits, and the credits of the composers he works with, see the show notes. And of course, come back for part three soon. Remember to subscribe so you automatically get the latest episode on your podcast app. 